Welcome to Truth Jihad Audiovisual. I'm Kevin Barrett doing a version of this show, uh, a new version, um, but I've been at it since 2006, bringing on the best folks who have the most to say outside the mainstream box. I'm doing it from Morocco now instead of from Wisconsin, but other than that, it's the same show and I'm bringing on the same high quality people. And my guest today definitely fits that description. It's Ray McGinnis. Ray is the author of Unanswered Questions, What the September 11th Families Asked and the 9-11 Commission Ignored. And it's uh, a great introduction to 9-11, especially for newbies, you know, people who haven't uh, awakened to the issue yet, learning that there are so many family members who are, uh, to say the least, unhappy with the fake uh, investigation, or should we say cover-up, yeah. is a really good way to uh, wake people up to this. So uh, it's great to have you back, Ray. Um, how's it going? Well, it's great to be back on your show, Kevin. And, and you know, I, I think about the title of my book, What the 9-11 Commission Ignored, and what the media generally ignored. And, and I think about how the media over 22 years have taught the general public to also ignore the family's questions. <laughs> and, so, and so how I'm doing is sort of, I'm sort of in this surreal place where you know, I mean, since my book came out in 2021 on the 20th anniversary, I mean, there's, you know, 1,300 people or so have got the copy of my book and, and quite a, a number of Canadians who I know. And, and I would say I'm batting about 50%. There's, there's about 50% of the people get the book and they dive into it. Scales fall from their eyes. They say, why didn't I know some of this before? And they're really, you know, they're, they're upset. Uh, they're, they, you know, they're, they're sympathy for the families and so on. And then there's other people who will seem to read my book, almost instantly start arguing with every paragraph in it and uh, to defend the story that they've been told, that they cannot believe that I could somehow be pointing them to something that's under a rock that they need to look at. And so in some cases I get canceled, <laughs> you know, so, so it is, we're living, you know, I mean, this is not the only story where, where a mainstream narrative gets, uh, gets thrown at people 24 seven for, for months and years on end. And then many people in the, uh, in the general public decide that that story that they've heard on the nightly news must be correct. And anybody else who draws attention to it is, is wacko, but it's, 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 it's very, perplexing to, to know what to do uh, with the with the state of our society and the the eager reliance on on the headline news to 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 trust what's the case what's true yeah I think it's gotten a lot worse oh just over the last uh five to ten years it seems that the um, the well the internet has now become uh, a uh, barbed wire surrounded free free speech zone meaning yeah. that we can kind of say what we want off in our little corner, but they've built all kinds of filters and barriers to make sure that ordinary people don't hear about this and that they get bombarded with the official story. Um, so it's, it's not like it was 15, 20 years ago when if you Google 9-11, or not even 9-11 truth, just 9-11, the first thing that would come up would be loose change. Yeah. And almost all of the discussions would feature uh, kind of a freewheeling approach. And, and now, uh, everywhere you go, they just slam you with the uh, official story, usually boiled down to a kind of a, a narrative 
pretty fact-free, pretty general, and you know, getting people to see through it is tough, especially people on the left these days, because you know they've been told that the evil right-wing uh, Nazis are coming to get them, and those are the only people that distrust mainstream narratives. Yeah, the, the Nazis are coming, and apparently I've seen some things online that maybe the aliens are going to be coming to get us soon. So, so right. you know, nice. uh, uh, one thing I will say that's a bit different from when my book first came out in, in, uh, in September 2021, now with a number more years of the pandemic narrative, uh, there are numbers of people who've, uh, who've uh, come to my attention or written me on my on my website or, or, you know, emailed me or found me on Twitter. And because of what's been happening with the pandemic and not necessarily because the moment the, the, the pandemic, the lockdown happened, they were distrustful, but over time, you know, when Rochelle Walensky uh, conceded on this, uh, on, on CNN with Wolf Blitzer in early August of 2021, well, actually the vaccine doesn't prevent infection or stop transmission. And, and then when other people found out that the uh, some of the Pfizer documents that were coming out in the worldwide safety branch of a report of, of September of uh, April 2021, which said that by the end of February 2021, Pfizer, by its own estimate, knew that 1,223 people had died from getting their vaccine. And that was out through Na Dr. Naomi Wolf and others. So as 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 people are waking up to that, numbers of people have said to me, well, now that I'm not sure about this or that I don't believe that story, now I want to get your book or now I'm interested in what you have to say about 9-11 or, or point me to other people. So it's interesting how the pandemic of late has now been, uh, for some people, a reason to question everything. As well it should be. And, and you know, that taboo against talking about the likely origins of COVID as in, in biowarfare research uh, has come down. and. Uh, that's certainly a, a step in the right direction. Um, and having you know, this discussion now in the media, even if they're slamming it all the time with, say, RFK Jr., you know, being Biden's main challenger for president and so on, uh, it's, it, you know, the, the dissonance are still visible, you know. But in terms of making progress on these issues and, and actually using them to change the world, uh, I'm I'm still not sure it's it's happening, and it's one reason I don't mind sort of watching the destruction of the West from the cheap seats over here in Morocco. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think about how I mean, where like the families. I mean, you know, there, I mean, there's many families, uh, of course, a hundred, you know, tens of thousands who are, who have uh, you know, uh, an immediate family member or an aunt or an uncle or a sister, or I mean, you know, a, a niece or a nephew or, you know, somehow. And, and and they're not, of course, you know, there's people like Ellen Mariani, uh, rest in peace, who who wanted a lawsuit against uh, George W. Bush and Dick Cheney and Rumsfeld and so on. And, and you know, that I think that just sort of got caught up. And I, I, I have a sense, I, I have a sense that that some of the, the the lawyers that came rushed to sort of help represent her may not have have been uh, the best people to represent her that kind of got her all tangled up in, in legal uh, uh, hijinks. But in any event, there were people like her who who said, "No, I think my government was involved in this." And then there's other family members, you know, like I'm going to be talking with some on on a show, I guess in September. 
who have a lawsuit against the Saudi government. And what I want to say, or the Saudi government and Saudi officials, what I want to say about that is, I mean, I've looked at, you know, careful, careful statements to the press by people like Lori Van Auken and Patty Casaza and others who uh, clearly uh, don't believe the official account and are careful about what they say to the press in this way. They don't want to say, um, you know, we think Dick Cheney did it in the drawing room with a candlestick, kind of using the old clue board game analogy, because they don't want to be accused of having prejudged what any trial uh, would find. But I, I sense I sense that in addition to there are families who just simply think we're going to have a uh, hopefully a day in court against the Saudi officials and uh, and then that'll be that. I mean, if that if that would happen, I mean, <laughs> but 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 there's others who are saying, well, if there was a day in court with 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 certain Saudi officials, you know, maybe some of them uh, would, for their defense uh, against the families, want to call uh, certain U.S. administration officials to testify, and then <laughs> suddenly that would open up, uh, you know, a whole a whole other world of oh, complicity within the U.S. government itself. So. Um, I'm sort of watching watching that. That's an unfolding story now. And I want to add one other thing that's also gone on that, you know, beyond the United States, you have uh, in the United Kingdom, uh, there was Jeff Campbell, who died, I think, in the North Tower, and his brother, Matt, and, and their fa the Campbell family have had a uh, several years trying to get a new inquest into how Jeff Campbell died because, you know, parts of his body are, you know, they're not all in one piece and uh, they don't have all the pieces and the, you know, the, the um, explosions in the building. Uh, uh, but, but the, but the official, uh, you know, judicial rulings in, in London, England are that no, no, it's all, uh, you know, fire or pancake down, you know, they're, they're kind of doubling down on, on the Dick Cheney narrative and won't won't reopen that that story. So it seems that even families in other countries or other Western allied, maybe other Western allied NATO nations also uh, get stiff resistance to looking at anything beyond what the official narrative says. Uh, I mean, I want to add one thing too regarding the the efforts of the families in uh, in the United States to have the Saudis in court. Um, and former uh, Trump Attorney General uh, William Barr said, "Well, we can't we can't have that because uh, it'll it'll uh, reveal state secrets, and we can't even talk about uh, talk about uh, <laughs> you know uh, harms harms to harms to America." Well, what you know, and the fam the families are saying, "Well, well, what state secrets uh, and what harms to America could it could could there be?" by us by us families going after a foreign nation saudi arabia you know which of course again raises questions that there probably are a lot of <laughs> a lot of you know people well no doubt are people who who would end up in court who are u.s officials um and it would would maybe become an un an unwieldy situation for the U.S. government, especially if there were certain persons who are still alive that might be charged with treason. Right. Well, that uh, blame the Saudis thing strikes me as, as you say, possibly productive if it ends up in court and people, you know, they have subpoena power to bring all sorts of people in there. 
but I'm, I'm kind of dissatisfied with it in some respects, just because, you know, what it's based on really is that this guy, Omar El-Bayoumi, who is said to be a Saudi intel guy, uh, babysat two of the patsies who were blamed as hijackers. But of course, all evidence shows that they and the other alleged hijackers were never even on the planes uh, and were certainly not in a position to be hijacking or flying any planes at all. Uh, I had uh, Omar's nephew on my show more than 10 oh. years ago, and he said that it's an open secret in their whole family. They all know that Omar works for American and Israeli intelligence, uh, not Saudi intelligence. And so it would be very interesting to get him into court and so on and and uh, ask him what was really going on. But but obviously, these uh, Saudis who were brought over to the United States on CIA snitch visas, which are special visas yeah. that are offered to those who perform intelligence services for the CIA in Saudi Arabia, uh, were de facto CIA agents, and they were brought here for some purpose. They were then sent to secure U.S. military facilities in different parts of the country, especially Florida, where they were well known in the officers clubs in, in the air bases and such. Uh, and a bunch of them showed up pretending to learn to fly in two flight schools in Florida that were not really flight schools. They were actually CIA drug import airstrips that didn't actually do any teaching. All they did was accept uh, Wally Hilliard's uh, Learjet full of heroin. Uh, and the D DEA once actually screwed up at the same airstrip where Mohammed Atta pretended to learn to fly, and they seized Wally Hilliard's uh, private jet uh, with the biggest heroin bust in all of Central Florida history. That happened shortly before 9-11, at the same time, basically, that uh, Mohammed Atta and his friends were, were partying at the local airbase uh, officers club every day, and, uh, and then showing up at that airstrip and not even taking the fake flying lessons that they were uh, later blamed for taking. So I mean, the whole thing is going to you know, blow up in the faces of the American officials if it ever gets to court with discovery. Um, but uh, good luck getting that. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I, I mean, you know, like where, like when you ask like, so like, how am I doing? I mean, I, I, I think about how this story, I mean, and I mean, like I've taught, you know, you, you've talked to Bob McElvain and Joe, down in Florida and, and, and numbers of others of families. And I mean, I talked to families that are kind of in different places on, on the map regarding this, but I speak especially more to the families that want a new investigation. And, and, and there's just such, um, I mean, on the one hand, they kind of soldier on, on the other hand, they're disheartened by, by this, you know, stonewalling and obstruction. And I think about this in the way that, uh, the, the, that the whole, like Pearl Harbor back in December 7th, 1941. And when, um, uh, when, uh, you know, they wanted to have, there was an investigation very quickly and then they kind of, you know, did a cover up. And then uh, families of the, uh, of, the, of the senior Pacific Command officers who were kind of uh, hung out to, 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 to take the blame for, for, you know, everything in, it, with the surprise attack of the Japanese. And then, they, you know, it turns out, of course, with uh, in the 1990s, when finally all these um, documents are released that, well, you know, all the people in, in, in the Department of Defense and in the White House in, uh, in 1941, December and before that, and all of the, uh, uh, you know, intercepts of, of, of Japanese uh, communications, that it was well known in Washington, D.C. that the Japanese were coming. Uh, that uh, 
that when the uh, fleet commanders before December 7th thought to send their Pacific fleet north toward Japan just to make sure that there wouldn't be a, a fleet coming south, they were ordered to send them back to Pearl Harbor and or to go south uh, of, of, of Hawaii and not north. And, and so, uh, you know, the, like even in 1998, when, um, you know, there was finally uh, like 52 members of the Senate voted to 47 in favor of exonerating the two uh, commanders because clearly they were in the dark and the people in Washington, D.C. did know that the Japanese were going to attack. It wasn't a surprise after all. And even still, uh, after the passage of the Senate uh, to pass it on to President Clinton, he didn't sign the, uh, you know, the, the papers to uh, to exonerate them from, you know. So so it's like and that's that was, you know, uh, what's my math like five over 50, you know, 55 years or so afterwards. It's like just this. I mean, I know that there's going to be the uh, the uh, I think is, is this is 2023. We're going to have the 60 year anniversary of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy coming up on the 22nd of November. And I wonder, well, I don't, <laughs> I don't wonder so much, but I, I can just imagine how they're going to how the media, if it pays attention to that 50th anniversary coming up, how they're going to play it. They're going to cherry pick all kinds of things uh, and, and blame Oswald all over again. It's like once there's a, once there's a narrative uh, connected to the myth of what America is, they have to tell it over and over again and can never admit that there's anything wrong with it. So it's, it's, it's a huge problem in terms of uh, what, what a country, if a country is built on, uh, you know, lies, uh, then <laughs> you, you know, then, then, then the, the student, the, ch the children grow up learning things in the, in the history books and in high school and in, uh, in university and, and they're full of holes. So it's a huge problem for the whole society. Yeah. It's going to be interesting this November 22nd with the 60th anniversary of the JFK assassination coming at a time when JFK's nephew, uh, RFK Jr., is running for the presidency and making no bones of the fact that he knows that the CIA killed his father and his uncle. Um, and by the way, they also uh, killed his cousin. And in all three cases, they essentially uh, destroyed presidencies, um, Kennedy's uh, JFK's while he was in office. And the other two were pretty much shoe-ins to become president, which is why they were taken out. Uh, so having uh, RFK Jr. running at this moment is, is very interesting. And, you know, I'm very pleased to see him running. Uh, I voted for him. I wrote, I wrote him in for president in 2020 oh. as a kind of a protest vote, thinking that, you know, this is the best protest vote I could cast. Uh, and then the next thing you know, this year, he's actually running for president, uh, which is quite exciting and interesting. Some of my friends have issues with him. Uh, his The biggest issue, of course, being his bizarre uh extremist Likudnik approach to the Palestinian-Israeli issue, uh, yeah. which is that that's just unfathomable. But um, in general, he's very much on point on a lot of these biggest issues, including COVID. He was a real hero of the COVID era. So I, I think that's actually kind of exciting to have the rigged and generally irrelevant American electoral system actually producing something of interest uh symbolically and and actually I mean, if if rfk jr somehow actually did 
get anywhere near the White House, it would actually be uh, a real threat, I think, to the people operating things right now. It would be. And it seems that uh, there was a story, I think this last week, that uh, somebody got in the second floor of his uh, of his of his home and, and then was apprehended. And, and, and apparently Joe Biden, President Biden, has not. Uh, he turned even, him down uh, for Secret Service protection. Secret the first time, yeah. first so, time that's ever happened. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I mean who would ever mess with a candidate? Well, well, yeah, <laughs> no, I can't. I can't imagine anyone, anyone after after numbers of years of of people describing Robert F. Kennedy Jr. as a crackpot and everything and conspiracy theorists regarding the origins of COVID. And, you know, how, how come you don't believe that pangolins, uh, you know, were the source of the, uh, of, of, of the COVID-19? Uh, you know, so it's, 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 it's just, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see because he certainly has, has been on, on, the, on the media platforms where he's allowed to speak because there's still a lot of them that won't interview him, but he is he is being clear that yes, uh, CIA and you know Alan Dulles were responsible for uh, for his you know his father and his uh, and his uncle's deaths and 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 you're talking about um, is it was it um, the one that the one that went down on the little plane uh, in 1999 was that the one you were talking about that was uh, yeah John F Kennedy Jr uh, was he, he was charting a path to the presidency he founded George magazine which some people yeah. believe was named for uh, one of the people he blamed uh, for his father's assassination George Bush in any case um, he had founded that magazine which had really taken off you know all of the Democrats, even moderate Democrats like my parents were avidly reading it. And my parents actually subscribed to that magazine. And so he was, you know, he was launching a political career with the intent of getting to the White House and then exposing what happened to his his father and his uncle. And then uh, his plane went down under highly suspicious circumstances, to say the least. Yeah, it's sad about how how highly suspicious these circumstances are with all these little planes and you know paul wellstone and uh beverly eckert who was one of the 12 members of the family steering committee for the 9-11 independent commission yeah she, and, she had just met with obama hadn't she when her yeah, plane she, went down yeah a week a week later her plane went down and you know i mean i mean she she had uh she was she was wanting she was you know still intending personally to go to court she had not taken a payout from the government um so, uh, yeah. So, this, all, so, so the moral is say, stay out of small planes if you're causing trouble for those guys. You know, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, 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 I have a different explanation for Patsy Klein, but, but you know, but, right? But, there, there may be a couple of exceptions. There might have been a couple of real plane crashes, but yeah, it's well. Yeah. John Perkins describes in Confessions of an Economic Hitman how the real hitmen, these are the guys that they send in if, if John Perkins isn't able to strong arm the leader of a country into doing what the IMF is ordering them to do, then John goes home and then they send the real hitmen, which they call asteroids. And these asteroids are guys who specialize in taking out powerful people up to and including heads of state. And according to John Perkins, he knows several of these people personally. And he says that their, their favorite way of taking people out is plane crashes. They actually killed, I think, two of Perkins's friends who were heads of state uh, in Latin American countries in rigged plane crashes. So, yeah, plane crashes are a, a favorite method, apparently, of these really high level assassins. And that's one reason, again, why if you're causing trouble for the top level of power, you should probably take the Greyhound bus. <laughs> yeah, take the Greyhound bus. I mean, 
wasn't it Vice President Dick Cheney who had some sort of like uh, kind of on the side, he had some sort of like a, uh, uh, I don't know if it's a committee or whatever else that was interested in, in assassinations. And, and that, I think that that was part of, uh, part of what he was, you know, it was not part of his job description as vice president, but he was involved somehow with some uh, uh, signing off of, of people that, that should be on, on a list. Yeah, that's true. And it was after 9-11, of course, that we got this yeah. notion of the presidents and vice presidents uh, signing off on these hit lists. Before that, assassinations were considered, actually, they were illegal. Uh, and post 9-11, that and so many other things changed. But yeah, Cheney, uh, speaking of Cheney and assassinations, remember Wellstone went down in that uh, plane crash with his daughter and uh, wife and campaign staff less than a week after Cheney had issued a draconian threat saying that if you persist in opposing our plans for the war in Iraq, and the subtext was, and if you persist in planning to question 9-11, uh, he, the direct quote from Cheney was, there will be uh, the most serious consequences for the state of Minnesota and for you personally. And then less than a week later, uh, in perfect weather, his plane goes down and the media is told to put out the story that it had to do with bad weather um, when there yeah, wasn't any yeah. bad weather. Yeah, yeah I, I, my, my memory of, of what, 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 what Cheney said was that there would be severe consequences, but serious yes, or severe... Yeah. I think severe is worse, actually. Yeah, yeah, severe consequence. Severe consequence alert from Cheney is worse than severe weather alert from the FAA, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all the people that went down to the uh, to the uh, the crash site with from the National Transportation Safety Board, similar similar people that uh, had shown up uh, when um, uh, the the Missouri senator who who died. Uh, yeah, it was a Carnahan or something. Carnahan, yeah. yeah although, yeah. although his his uh, his widow ended up uh, taking his place, she got elected. So I guess it's good to have have Wellstone and his wife and daughter all on the plane together, so that she can't survive him if he goes down the plane. Right, right. There've been others too. Of course, Hale Boggs. Uh, I believe he was a senator yeah. who didn't accept the Warren report. Went down in Alaska and and on and on. I mean, I don't. Probably only a few people have enough memory banks to keep track of all of the important plane crash victims. But yeah, so we, I mean, and and what, so what's the moral of the story here? That well, we we basically were ruled by organized crime, right? I mean, these people uh, are above the law, and they're willing to use criminal means when they feel it necessary, and they're in a position to get away with it. And changing that would really require some some very you know basic changes in in the system, wouldn't it? It would, and and I've I've just received a a, a book um, called Canary in the I think something Canary in the COVID in a COVID world something like that. But it it is, and Brianne Dressen, who was one of the people who who was a, a preschool teacher, uh, and she was uh, uh, stepped up in the middle of all of the uh, the you know the the COVID. Um, vaccine uh, ex excitement in the news and decided that she would uh, be one of the people in the trials to uh, you know let, let's let's take the the these uh, these uh, vaccines uh, in, in quotes in their in their infancy uh, and uh, so we can have the trials and then they can roll it to the general public and she got AstraZeneca and was instantly injured. And and she uh, she talks uh, about how uh, 
uh, how there would be people who would be trying to be part of a, a support group on Facebook and they'd be taken down. And she talked about how one person um, who was uh, a young woman who uh, who was describing her own you know experience of, of of the reactions, and Facebook's fact checkers would say this is misinformation. So you know, so someone's been been injured. They have you know neural neurological and all kinds of physical internal organ problems, and they're simply describing it. And the Facebook fact checkers will take it upon themselves to say this is misinformation. Well, they have that new category of malinformation, which is yeah. information that may be true, but it doesn't serve our objectives. Yeah. So we're going to yeah. suppress it. Yeah. So, so, and I kind of go go to that just as kind of another example of how. Uh, we're we're now living in an age where those who are able to set uh, you know chart the course for us uh, as they are in the powerful in charge, it's gotten to a place now. Again, if somebody has a story that's off message, that story cannot be. So if William Rodriguez comes out of uh, out of the the towers and you know saying i rescued these people and there were bombs in the sixth uh, sub basement that story cannot be and so he's uh, you know vilified in the press so it's it's uh we're not living in a place where i mean you can talk about free speech but if you say something that doesn't adhere to the narrative of the moment or the narratives of the past that need to be upheld then uh, you'll find yourself deplatformed uh, or uh, people shadow banning you or something. And you ask yourself, well, how realistically could this this period end? You know, how, how could things change uh, radically so that we would be in a, a different world from this kind of dystopian uh, reality, this post-free speech West that we're in now? And I've been saying now really since not long after 9-11, that the most likely way that things are going to change radically will be if and when the West suffers either a severe enough economic crisis or defeat in a big enough war or some combination thereof. They're quite likely to happen together. And once that happens, all bets are off. Uh, anything could happen at that point. Uh, and it looks to me like that day may not be all that far away given the way that the people in charge right now, the neocons, of course, are driving the empire right off the cliff, you know, to making enemies of, of China, Russia, and Iran, all at the same time, making plans to fight a two-front, if not a three-front World War III, already uh, throwing everything into Ukraine, and they're not going to win there. And then they're going to turn to China, and I don't think they're going to win there either. At the end of the day, the economic devastation and the military defeat really could set things up for a big change here. Now, whether that turns out to be a change for the better or the worse, I'm not sure. Yeah, well, I mean, they're constant reminders uh, for the American people of what the, pro the real priorities are of those who are in charge. You have this, uh, this fire, this sort of strange fire out in Maui, uh, and I, I won't get into all of what, what that might be, but nonetheless, people lost their homes and so on. And you have this piddly little amount of money being sent over to Maui at the very same time they're sending 24 more billion off to the Ukraine. So it's like, it's just- uh, We need to convince uh, Russia to invade Maui. Or yeah, maybe well, we, we could blame <laughs> Russia for the Maui fires. It's claim it was their DEW that did it. <laughs> if, 
if yeah, maybe maybe if 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 that if Russia if Putin could be blamed for the fire in Maui, then maybe uh, Washington D.C. would send twenty four billion dollars to Hawaii. <laughs> so, <laughs> Good luck with that. But <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, it makes me wonder when. I mean, like I've I've been uh, I've been to to Thailand, um, you know, in, in uh, twenty early this year. And uh, and I know that the kind of the sense of how people look at the world, certainly their sense of, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, more people said to me they, they, they didn't tr trust the pandemic narrative. I mean, just would volunteer this in, in their conversations with me and, 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 and were, were, were glad that I was out of Canada and hear, heard awful things about Canada and Trudeau and so on. And, and, I, and I wonder, now that you're in Morocco, how I mean, insofar as you're having conversations with with the you know person on the street, how is the how is the tone and the sense of people's perspective about the world different from back in the USA? You know, it's a totally different uh, social world, um, and in terms of sort of the political worldview, uh, it it. it is is different, but but the difference is actually even greater than just the political difference. Uh, the political difference I could describe by saying that when I've come here to Morocco in the past to, and I've done talks, I've done talks at various places. Uh, my favorite return engagements have been at the Nibraz Institute, which is an NGO devoted to educational tough things in, in Ujda, Morocco. So I've given talks on, for instance, my books on the Charlie Hebdo affair, uh, pointing out that that was a likely false flag, and, uh, and of course, 9-11 and things like that. And these talks attract educated Moroccans, intellectuals, uh, and they almost always tell me, yeah, we pretty much knew that. You know, we maybe didn't know all those details, but we basically knew or suspected that all the way down the line. Um, so maybe you should go back to America and, you know, tell all those people because they don't seem to get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so that, that's, that's what I hear in Morocco. And to some extent, I heard from the Turkish Muslim communities in Europe when I gave speaking tours there, uh, what I heard to the, from Turkish communities when I spoke there, and to a slightly lesser extent, what I heard from uh, Malaysians uh, when I spoke there. So politically, uh, all of these countries and and re these Muslim majority communities are pretty far ahead of the West in terms of topics related to the so-called war on terror. Uh, they saw through that hoax quickly because they were the victims and they kind of knew the reality and that it didn't match the narrative. Uh, with COVID, um, there's a bunch of COVID skepticism here, but there's also a lot of people accepting the jab. Now, the rate of the jab here was lower than in the U.S. I think something like about half of Moroccans have gotten at least one jab, um, but not very much more than that have gotten more than one. So it's a lower rate, but still people were, you know, lining up and getting jabbed. Uh, and so on that particular topic, it's kind of a mixed bag. Uh, but the overall mentality is, is very different in that in the United States, people basically take it for granted that, you know, that we're the center of the world. And, uh, you know, what happens in, in Washington, you know, is, is of utmost significance. And we, you know, we're, it, it's a very both insular in terms of not knowing what's happening elsewhere, but, but also kind of arrogant in 
you know, thinking that, you know, we're so important and nobody else is very important. And then you come to someplace like Morocco, where uh, people, I think, are maybe, uh, well, they identify with the victims of imperialism and colonialism all over the world, you know, starting with the Palestinians, uh, and are don't have any illusions about, you know, the wonderful you know, freedom and democracy of the Western Empire. On the other hand, here in Morocco, you don't have a sort of a, a real intense ideological anti-Western thing being pushed. There's overall people uh, have this sense that, you know, every place has its flaws, every place has its advantages. You know, there are good sides to the American society. Uh, and, you know, and so as we, I often used to hear those, those Americans are better Muslims than we are. Now, of course, that's I don't think that's true, but but you know, Moroccans gave give Westerners credit for creating societies where there's a certain amount of trust and uh, certain uh, achievements. So anyway, it's 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 a whole mixed bag overall, but I'm more comfortable with it in that the overall sort of flexibility, lack of arrogance, sense of humor, uh, sense of real community. You know, people really talk to each other all the time in person here. Uh, people are very connected through community networks, extended family networks, and so on. Uh, it feels like a saner society. And so that's really the most important thing for me, you know, beyond the politics. People aren't all running around wearing uh, pink uh, clothing items and rushing off to see Barbie? Not so much of that, no. There's a little, little bit of that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Social media has, has gotten to people everywhere, and you yeah, know, even yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it does it does sound saner. I mean, I, I think that the you know there's there's this huge disconnect between uh, the, the you know in Canada too the uh, the view that we're you know we, you know we, people in Canada pride themselves. We often somehow with these different groups that rank the, you know, best democracies in the world, and they'll rank about 150 countries or whatever. And we're, we seem to always be in the top five or six or seven. And recently we ended up down at number 10, but, but it's kind of like a race to the bottom. Like, I guess we, we edged out New Zealand, but not, not thanks to Jacinda Ardern. But, but, but even then, you know, like I, I, the whole, the whole sense of, of, of the kind of deformed democracy and how, and how people know that if they bring up a whole a whole bunch of different topics, uh, that they'll be qu quite quickly deplatformed, silenced, and and shown the door, and friendships, and uh, around the the pandemic and and other things. I mean, mm -hmm. Ukraine war, uh, 9/11, and so on. And I mean, even you know people that that I know, why would they have any investment? But they they think it's so silly that anyone thinks that. Uh, that Lee Harvey Oswald wasn't the lone shooter and that it's over and done. And, and I think why, why, why would, why would some Canadians that I know be really invested in the, in the Warren commission reports, official account, but it, but it, it seems that over time people who become entranced with a certain narrative with one of these stories, then want to believe all of the, all of the mainstream narratives and, and, and get all their ducks in a row. And, and so it's, and I've been in 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 academic forums where where the group think is is just uh, quite stifling. You begin to see, okay, you know, I'm supposed to have some pronouns underneath my 
you know, I, I, if I had, I would have have avocado forward slash toast, but, but, you know, but <laughs> it, it, you know, but, but it's like the, 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 the people automatically um, more and more uh, drift toward assuming that we all know that such and such is the case. We all know bin Laden did it on nine 11, or we all know that a pangolin you know, because of a pangolin that COVID-19 jumped to somebody in the Wuhan wet market, or, or maybe it was a, rac a raccoon, or maybe it was, uh, you know, a monkey. Anyway, um, you know, pe people uh, lining up uh, not far from where I am just the other day to get their monkeypox vaccine. And, and, I, and I, just, I, I just wonder what, I guess, just... Uh, People don't, it's, it's like people going to grocery stores. They don't look at the ingredients on the back of the box or the can. They just pick up the Captain Crunch or the Fruit Loops and assume it must be good for them. And in the same way, there's this, this trust in, in uh, you know, in the way that the Ukraine war has been presented, um, that, that uh, Putin's going to try and, and end up on, on on the shores of Normandy by this Christmas if we don't do something and 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 I I wonder when people don't have any idea of even what NATO is or Article Four or Five that if one country's attacked then all countries consider the attacker uh, <laughs> you know a fair game uh, but but there there's almost like a a, a dumbing down or the lack of literacy or uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote um, about during the during the, the, the you know the, the Third Reich about how many good people that he knew who were quite intellectual seemed to become um, well he talks about stupidity that there that there was like a, they could be really smart in their silo in their own level of, of, of career or whatever but suddenly they would accept all manner of, of, of assertions by the government without question or all all manner of assertions by the by the, the you know the the newspaper and i find that that's sort of you know very different time but but we're again i i, I noticed how in canada and i think it's in the states too and i guess in uk and australia and new zealand and other places where uh more and more people are ready within a nanosecond to hear the mainstream story, the nightly news, and immediately what they do is mimetically repeat that story to their friends the next day on the phone or in person without, without scrutinizing anything. And, and, that, and this is, a, you know, when you talk about where we're going, I mean, you know, maybe it'll be a big war or maybe some economic collapse, but something will, ha will have to happen. I mean, already in, in Canada, people are finding that there's uh, been a thing on social media this summer with with young people in their 20s and 30s saying that they're, they're just not making it financially and they don't know how they're going to be able to survive. And, and so that's, uh, that's, that's uh, maybe a sign of, 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 of things to come. Yeah, well, here in Morocco, we, we really don't have a lot of that political craziness. Um, and you know, people are not losing friends over their views on Ukraine or on COVID or conspiracies or anything like that. There's just nothing remotely like that. 
people fight over personal issues. <laughs> they lose yeah. their friends over the other reasons. <laughs> That's um, my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or just these ego things that people, you know, problems within families and things. People's families are often squabbling and, you know, a couple of family members will be squabbling for a while and then they'll change and they'll squabble with a different family member and make up with the one they used to squabble with and that sort of thing. Uh, and then it, as as far as the economic problems, yeah, I mean, he, that's always a big backdrop here in Morocco is that, of course, it's a relatively poor country. And so that's just something you can't get away from. Um, but, yeah, it's it's uh, I, I really like being someplace outside of, of that polarization that's developed, you know, primarily between people who just mindlessly buy mainstream narratives and the people who don't. <laughs> and that's it's really tearing the West apart. And here in Morocco, that's just not there. And, and then of course, the whole uh, you know sexual weirdness thing is just not there here either. There's you know it might be one in a million Moroccans that buys into that, but that's uh, it's not even a thing. So uh, it, in a lot of ways, it feels like a healthier, saner society, a lot more like the U.S. might have been back sixty, eighty years ago. Uh, it's almost like I mean this this whole thing about gender dysphoria and I you know something I never thought about you know uh, until this was going on uh, now um, and and the you know I heard some psychiatrists talk who who have some concerns about what's going on saying it, it was you know the case where maybe one person in seventy thousand or one person in a hundred thousand would come to a to a therapist and say, you know, I really don't think I'm born in the right body, or I feel like I should have been a man or should have been a woman or whatever. But, but now it, it's almost, I mean, I, I personally know, I think five or six families um, and I, and I haven't canvassed people. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not putting it out on Facebook and say, Hey, you know, to any of my Facebook friends, if they have anybody that, that that's a friend of theirs or a family member, but, but I find it quite, surprising that, that I would know a half a dozen families that are dealing with someone who's either on hormone blockers or or going through or been through surgery uh, I, I I I mean I mean theologically the message is that the creator is making a whole bunch of mistakes and putting people in the wrong body you know I mean I, I mean I I find it uh yeah, that sounds like bad theology <laughs> well yeah. I mean yeah, yeah. I mean, There's a famous I mean, Moroccan book about that called The Sandchilds by Tahar Benjamin. It's a very interesting novel uh, about a father who keeps having daughters and finally decides to get so frustrated, he decides to bring the, the latest one up as a son. Okay, yeah, well, I'm sure that would have been confusing for that latest one. Yes, but, indeed. <laughs> but but, but I, I wonder... Um, I mean, I, and I've listened to people talk about, you know, I mean, I they'll, they'll tell me about their friend who I... Who I would know, and who's you know, and they talk about how well it's very complicated. And I'm, I'm sure we can make things complicated, but it, I, I now I, I should write, try and write down a, a list of ten, of ten topics or ten things that I am sure that Canadians or Americans wouldn't begin to question or or think about entirely differently. Um, maybe gravity. I'm, I'm not sure, but but. <laughs> But I I I I I feel like the like the the door is wide open now for for almost anything uh, for for uh, society to be told is the case and for a surprising number of fellow citizens to accept it immediately 
as as a thing. So, so as soon as the authorities tell us that the UFOs are real and yeah. the government has crashed saucers and has had them for 50 years, has been lying to us, will everybody just accept that, oh, that, now they're telling us the, the truth and we'll believe everything they tell us about that? That's right. And, and you know, maybe people will start saying that they always knew that I was an alien or I, I don't know. I mean, there you go. <laughs> Trans uh, aliens or something. Uh, yeah. Tra yeah. 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 Well, that, that could be the next thing. I know there already is a, like the indigo children, uh, the, you know, the quasi alien children. That's something that certain people have been believing in for decades, I guess. Uh, is there's a whole subculture there that very well could rise up and become a lot more notable if this wave of UFO disclosure that is starting to creep into the mainstream ever becomes a new mainstream propaganda narrative. Um, but that's probably a topic we'll have to go into later when it happens, because we, we're getting towards the end of the hour yeah, uh, yeah. on this one. So um, do you, you have anything else you wanted to mention before we sign off and I go jump in the Mediterranean? Yeah, wonderful. Uh, well, I think I think that what we're talking about on a number of these different topics, 9-11 and 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 the kind of, you know, that how I would have expected at one point that after 20, 22 years that more people would be open to revisiting this. And while there are some, I find more and more people are kind of at part of a culture of contentment where they, it just doesn't seem to be serving their self-interest to care enough to revisit the story. And I think that the, the, in, in all of these topics, there's a general collapse of consciousness and, and, a, and an inability or even the skill to scrutinize or to even know what to scrutinize. And so uh, that, that leaves uh, those of us, uh, yourself and I and many others, uh, with, uh, with a lot of work to do to try and, 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 uh, and teach people how to uh, you know, watch the evening news and not just, and, and sit back and say, what am I being told? Uh, what am I being told to trust? Uh, what are some questions I could ask? I mean, basic media literacy is uh, is is really important, and we're losing that ability. Well, that's part of what we try to accomplish with False Flag Weekly News, where every week we go over the top 30 news stories you know, from a, a media critical perspective. In fact, maybe, Ray, you should come on as a False Flag Weekly News co-host sometime. I'd be happy to. Okay, inshallah, another project. So when the UFOs land on the White House lawn, uh, or even before that, we'll bring you on False Flag Weekly News to talk about that or whatever else has happened that week. All right, well, thank you so much, Ray McGinnis, author of Unanswered Questions, What the September 11th Families Asked and What the 9-11 Commission Ignored. Uh, keep up the great work, and God bless. Talk to you again soon. Okay, all the best. Bye-bye. Okay, bye.